Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, I'm joined this week by Dr. Leo Cheng, a consultant at Bart's Health and Homerton Hospitals in London. He spends much of his spare time as a volunteer on Mercy Ships, performing life-saving and life-changing operations. You can find out more about the work of Mercy Ships at mercyships.org.uk. And Dr. Cheng, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Thank you for inviting me to share some of my humbling experience. Thank you. I wonder if, first of all, you could tell us a bit about your, your, day, your day job, as it were, as, as a consultant. What is it that you, you specialise in? Yes, uh, I'm a consultant, oral and maxillofacial head and neck surgeon uh, in the UK. And currently I am a, a consultant in London. Uh, in order to become a consultant in my specialty, I need to be a dentist first and then to be a doctor. And then I've trained in general surgery, head and neck surgery, mouth surgery. On top of that, I suppose you can say I can be a lawyer too, because I've got a master of law degree in, in law and ethics. And I just love learning. Right. And now some people ask me, you know, you don't have 48 hours a day to use all these training. And you're right. And I study law and ethics because I love the ethics. I don't want to be, you know, barrister or coroner. I love surgery. I love my surgical craft. I love to talk, interact with patients and the carers. But it's an ethics side, which I use to train, train next generation surgeons, how to be ethical and passionate. And that's why mercyship comes in in a in a big way, uh, it's, and it's become part of my life. And ask a bit about the sort of um, conditions of the people who, whom you, you treat in, as, as a consultant, as a, as a surgeon. Um, I'm a cancer surgeon, so I deal with uh, head and neck cancer, skin cancer of the head and neck, and also thyroid, so and everything in the head and neck. So um, in this country, uh, we, we are very so blessed, you know, when you have cancer, you know, the two-week way, all the resources on the NHS is there behind you. You know, huge amount of resources and money. And, and apart from that, I also deal with benign conditions. Of course, the benign condition we treat is small because when we uh, see anything unusual, lumps and bumps in the neck or the mouth or the face, you go to see a GP or dentist, and then if they couldn't deal with it, they would say, oh, you sent to uh, specialists like Leo Cheng. So we, we, we deal with things in a much more earlier form. So we deal with it uh, by local anesthetic, day surgery, maximum, you know, overnight stay, and then basically put patients back to where they belong, uh, the good quality of life. Um, so that is really what I do, apart from teaching, running courses and inspire next, gen next generation surgeons. And those are basically what I do in the NHS. Mm, and it must be, I mean, hard work as well. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, because in the NHS, uh, we rely as a we like my team uh, with a junior doctor, middle grade doctors, and and we all work together. And also, uh, I love the NHS because I we treat everybody the same. Uh, I give you one example. You know, if I have a patient who is a bit grumpy or you know it's not their day or not being cooperative, the way I I interact with them is, is say. Hey, by the way, if you are the Queen of England sitting in front of me with this condition, or if you are the beggar outside the hospital sitting in front of me with the same condition, that's what I'll be saying exactly the same thing to you because you're actually more important than the Queen. So usually, like writing people, that just give you an, an example why 
I love the National Health Service because we're dealing with everybody the same. We're giving them the very best, the world-class treatment. And that's why when you come to Mercy Ship, we will talk about Mercy Ship later. It's the same ethos, the same idea. It's how to help people without counting the course, uh, uh, whatever religion, sex and, and culture you're from, we are here for you. And, then, and how did you first become involved with Mercy Ships and, and what motivated you to, to get involved? It, it was um, it was quite strange, really. I think God sort of strong armed me, you know. And, and the reason why I say that was I one of my colleagues, uh, father-in-law is Lord Ian McCall, who was um, professor of surgery in his heydays. And then he became uh, Lord uh, Ian McCall. And he came to our church in Cambridge. I was a consultant in Cambridge at that time. And... And he gave a talk about Mercy Ship. And I thought, wow, this amazing medical mission. And but it's not for me. I can't go. Why? Because I've got a wife, I've got two young children, you know, I got a mortgage, and I do suffer, you know, financially secured, wonderful, beautiful people. Not for me. You know, I got a lot of bills to pay. So I think Lord Yimago sends that. So shortly after that, I'm talking about over 20 years ago, this, this happened. So shortly afterwards, Lord Ian's secretary in the House of Lords phoned me up and say, Lord Ian and Lady Jean are going to uh, Mercy Ships in two weeks' time. They've invited you as the VIP, by the way. You need to get your yellow fever jab today. Otherwise, you can't go. And Ed, <laughs> you know, in a sense, the British government, you know, Lord Ian, office for me up and say, wow, go and join him. I really, really feel quite excited. But on the other hand, uh, when my excitement sort of come down on earth and say, hey, I can't just say to my surgical team, I'm going to be off for two weeks in two weeks time. You're going to sort out my waiting list and my, my, my clinics and all that. I thought, hey, that, that won't work. Lord Ian have already thought of that. He already talked to his daughter <laughs> and the son-in-law to say, you're going to cover Leo's work, won't you? You know, when Leo's come with me. So there you are, uh, the rest of history. I went, went to Mercy Ship. I was completely spellbound. You know, the work that's done on the ship. And to be honest, I, when I went there, I said, I'm just going to be a tourist. I don't know what they do. I'd see pictures. I'm not, I can't, you know, do all those amazing work. But when first week, I was assisting. I haven't left the hospital part of the ship. And then the following week, I thought, wow, I'm out in Africa first time in my life. I'm going to go on the land-based team to see what they do. Just before I disembark, Anne's the theatre coordinator sort of dragged me back and said, Leo, do you mind help us out? Because one of the surgeons have got gastroenteritis. He can't operate which means those patients will have to be cancelled, which means those patients would not be operated on. That's it. I, I know you're trained. Can you help out? At you know, God have got everything planned. And I really enjoyed the second week of surgery. So you can imagine God is slowly removing barriers after barriers without me even asking for it. I got hooked. And then every year I used um, half of my annual leave from the NHS to go and surf on the ship. And this, this, as I said, nearly 20 years ago. And then you, you said you were spellbound by it. I mean, when, when you're, you're performing surgery and working really hard in, in your day job, I mean, to then use half your holiday time to use your skills and, and work hard again. I mean, it was that, is that ever difficult? 
I it, it's, it's not only, not only such a change because when, on on the mercy ships, the atmosphere is electrified. You can imagine, um, it's it's like a church. You know, everybody is in the volunteers. Everybody's there to serve God, and in order to serve God, you know, that's the needs among the patients. So you work as a team. Now in the NHS, I also work as a team, but like in all professions, they're politics. Things that the, they, those those things really drag people down. I went on the ship because everybody is there as a volunteer, serving the patients, serving each other, bring hope and healing, not just the patient, actually hope and healing for me as a as a volunteer. So when I go on the ship, I, I'm being energized. You know, uh, a lot of my colleagues, they, they said to me, Leo, you've been working so hard in the NHS. Now in the holiday, you do even more surgery, more bigger surgery. And I said, partly because I'm there doing things without asking anything back in return. And Ed, I think I'm, I'm pretty successful. You know, I'm a dentist, I'm a doctor, I'm actually a visual surgeon, I've got a law degree. I think I'm pretty successful as a, as a consultant. But I want to run my life in the significant level, not in the successful level. And in order to be significant, I think we have to do something in order to improve the value of others. And basically by giving but giving without asking anything back in return. I, I say to some people, it's like I'm saving up the treasure, but I'm not saving up, saving up that treasure on earth. I'm saving up in heaven. And that gave me tremendous joy. Therefore, I don't need much sleep on the ship. I was so excited, you know, working with like-minded, selfless. Some of these uh, crew, crew members are not just selfless. They're like saints. All right, They're like my mother, Teresa. Give you one example, Dr. Gary Parker, he's the biggest saint of all in the mercy ships. Now, I only go, you know, in the last 20 years, two to three weeks a year. Gary Parker has been serving full-time, that is 10 months or more per year, for the last 33 years without salary or pension. <sighs> you know, that's why when people look at me and say, oh, you're doing all this great work, I say, Hang on. No, no, no. I'm just a minimum, minimum, minimum part-time compared with great people like that. And Ed, you understand why I said early on that I actually receive hope and healing for my own heart, for my own soul. Just walking alongside these saintly people and just the way they talk, the way they think, the way they read the Bible, the way they pray. Um, Ed, I gain so much more. Far more than I give. Sure. And I mean, can you give us a sense of the, the, the patients you're treating on, on the ships, the sort of um, how serious their conditions are and what difference it makes, the, the surgery that they receive? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to describe because I don't see those patients coming into my consulting rooms or coming to my uh, operating theatre. But out there, because there's no education, no healthcare, and just some basic figures that came out from the Lancet Commission, Two out of three people uh, in the world do not have timely, safe, and affordable surgery. But in um, sub-Saharan uh, countries where, where, where we serve in West Africa, nine out of ten people do not have basic surgery, all right? do not have access to it. And because of that, and also lack of education, so any lumps and bumps of the head and neck, and I'm not talking about cancer because we cannot offer cancer treatment. I'm a cancer surgeon. I see cancer, diagnose cancer out there. I love to offer my major surgery to get rid of it. But of course, 
There's no radiotherapy, chemotherapy, the multidisciplinary team, uh, special nurse uh, specialists, all that. So we can't offer uh, cancer surgery, but we can offer benign tumors. Now, a benign tumor means benign, not cancer. It shouldn't kill, should it? But it does. Because benign tumor of the jaw keep on growing, and it also grow from the push from the inside. So what happened is it's just slowly turning off the oxygen supply to that patient. Slow lingering death. Upper jaw tumor keep on growing, uh, also push to the back, which means eventually they could not swallow. Say uh, I see so many patients with upper jaw tumors. The hands are like those uh, pictures you see from the concentration camp. So thin, but the jaw is huge. So eventually, you know, this benign tumor kills. And that's why I love doing those surgeries because I know it's life-saving, not just life-transforming. Very often after surgery the following day, uh, we give our patient a washback because they come to a ship with nothing. So the washback of the usual toothpaste, toothbrush, final, but more importantly, it got a mirror. So what happened is the following day, the nurse and I would do a walk around and we give, give the patient a mirror. We usually give a slightly bigger one. And the patient's the hand would then stop where the lump used to be. And then the nurse and I would say, no, your face is no longer up there. Your face is here. And then they look at the mirror, eye widens, and say, is that really me? Is that person looking back at me? Am I dreaming? And of course, they know they look different. They also, they are different because they are no longer being called names, being, being ostracized. And the other interesting thing about this, they have to check this mirror four, five, six times a day for the coming week or two before they truly believe that their face have changed. And just that response is no money can buy. That satisfaction that, you know, we have done something. And this person, is going to um, make good use of their life. And give you one quick example is we, we have um, Kevin and Pilot uh, patients, and um, the patients usually their names are not Ed or Leo or Peter. They have to be called the proper names: Devil, Lucifer, Evil, because with that deformity, you know, Kevin and Pilot or, or lumps and bumps, these babies are called are called those names. We had a patient came in and, and we say with a clapping and pilot and say, what's your name? Bad time. So he had been called bad time for the last 16 years. And after we, re we repair it, again, he was surprised seeing the mirror. And we say, we're going to christen you again, but it's no longer bad time. It's God's time. Wow. Ed. These are just two small examples. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Ask about the, the effect of the pandemic on, on the work of, of Mercy Ships. I mean, has, has that hindered what, what you're able to do? Yes, uh, very sad. Uh, you, you remember um, our lockdown started in March 2020 because our ship is not an uh, infection control ship. And you can imagine if, if the COVID-19, you know, major outbreak break, patient will say, oh, there's a Western ship. We'll go there. It will help us. Of course, we, we can't. And also our volunteers come in and out of the ship. And we don't want the volunteer to bring COVID-19 into the third world, if you like. 
So with a very heavy heart and the government of Senegal, we have to sail away in March and come, and then we came back to Canary Wharf, uh, Canary um, uh, Islands for, for refit and so on. But during uh, the pandemic, we made use of some of our long-term crew members to go on land-based hospitals because they, they're getting one of our doctors and, and then we, we partner with Care Hospital in Uganda. So we've got anesthetists and doctors to, to help their pe- people there. We also ch- channel uh, a lot of our funding and also PPEs and equipment. We, we, leave, we transport or leave them with our uh, host nation in West Africa. We also channel quite a big chunk of our donations to um, vaccination in Africa. So all these are part and parcel of uh, helping uh, the uh, COVID-19 in West Africa. Now we got better test kits, quick PCR check, which is fantastic. You know, we learn experience from Ebola five, six years ago hitting West Africa. And then we went back. So. At the moment, Africa Mercy is a ship that I've been serving for the last 15 years. Africa Mercy, right now, while we speak, is changing life in Senegal. And we are trying to treat those patients which, which we have assessed in 2020. And we, we, we're trying to honor our, our, our pledge. Difficulty at the moment is the number of surgery that we can do cannot be as high as before uh, pandemic because of social distancing. So a lot of our cabins uh, may have two people, three people, some that can be a larger number. We have to cut it down by half because of social distancing. So our African Mercy at the moment is serving, but not as a full capacity because of the restriction that we impose ourselves because we don't want patients to catch COVID to come mm-hmm. to the ship. However, I, you know, later on we can talk about Global Mercy. Global Mercy is so much bigger and uh, got isolation room. I think that will contribute in a greater way uh, during, you know, the tail end of the pandem- uh, pandemic. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about Global Mercies. This is the ship that was launched earlier this month in Rotterdam um, and where, where Pri- um, Princess Anne was there to, to, to launch, to launch it, right. I suppose. He was a trustee now of, of, of Mercy ships. Um, and how long has that been in the, in the making, that ship? And, and what will it add to the, to the services that, that you can provide? Yeah, um, it, the idea was born some seven, eight years ago and started in Tianjin a shipyard in China. And then it was built. And after it's built, um, the ship obviously needs to be fitted with all the latest gadgets and so on. And then pandemics hit. And then trying to get, you know, experience western trained uh, technicians and and an expert in it was just impossible so the ship then sailed to Antwerp in Belgium and then in Rotterdam and that is uh, for us to equip it but because of pandemic we couldn't do it as quickly according to our schedule so um the ship is actually now on its way to uh, Dhaka for a baptismal celebration with many African uh, nations leaders, because those are the country we're going to serve. And I feel it's so appropriate that we have two celebrations, one at Rotterdam in the last two weeks, which is fantastic. 
you know, we got Princess Anne, we've got Lord, ladies, baronesses from the British side, and we also got other royal family in, in Europe come and and all, you know, millionaires and come to see the ship, you know, to, 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 to know that, you know, in the future donations, they can actually see how it's being used. And it was wonderful. I mean, I, I normally serve two weeks on the ship a year, but because we're cutting the capacity on African Mercy. So they said this year, uh, we, we don't need you, Leo, but can you go to Rotterdam and be our tour guide, be our speakers? So I have done quite a number of speeches and basically very similar to what I shared with you just now, you know, the stories and what, what made me tick and, and all that. And I hope just by my, you know, um, examples and, and and people's heart will be touched. And yeah, I'm the only thing I said to a lot of our crew members is normally, you know, two, three weeks a year, I wheeling my knife and see blood. This time I could do that. <laughs> but I'm very happy to share my experience with others. And sure. come back to Global Mercy. It's, it's, it's not just a hospital ship there because uh, we know the surgical crisis, global surgical crisis. As I said, there's nine out of 10 people in sub-Saharan area do not have access to surgical care. So Mercy Ship immediately can offer that care, not for everyone, only for the one that we can help. And immediately we change life, save life. And there's no, no good saying to patients, you know, oh, cheer up, tomorrow will be a better day. They want the lump to be removed. They want the deformity to be corrected. So that's one thing we can do very well. The next things we are doing more and more is medical capacity building. That is to leave a legacy after we have left. So African Mercy have already started to do many years. Um, I'll give you a couple of exa examples. One is we train up the local surgeons. So uh, Professor uh, Diallo, wonderful Guinea uh, um, maxillofacial surgeon, I met him a couple of times over the last 20 years and he came on the ship. He learned from uh, Dr. Gary and I teach him some of the things I know. And Dr. Gary then said to me, hey, this time we came to Guinea, which is a few years ago. He said, normally when we arrive, there's hundreds, 400, 500, maybe even 600 cleft lip and palate patients waiting in the 7,000 patients uh, uh, for triage. So this time we only get about 10. And of course, Professor Diallo and his colleagues in the last few years have already done those 400, 500 patients because we trained them up over the last 20 years. And that's just one small example. You know, uh, Dr. Modome, who, who I met uh, in Rotterdam, he came out. Again, he got amazing story. He's a cataract surgeon. And he learned from Glenn Strauss, our veteran cataract surgeon on the ship. And then he started training people in Togo. He started opening up his own clinic for richer people to have the cataract. So he charged them. And then at the back door, he say, I then, at the back of the building, have got a, another entrance for people who cannot pay for treatments. They come and have treatment. So Ed, we are, we are leaving a legacy. More than that is on African Mercy, there are 12 decks or stories, but in the ship's deck. We've got one deck, nearly the full deck. They've got two simulation laboratory and several room multimedia rooms. 
those are all for training African healthcare workers. Can you imagine how many healthcare workers can learn and then be trainer themselves and then go and help other people? So Global Mercy is not just the biggest uh, hospital ship, purpose-built hospital ship in the world. It's also the largest training platform in Africa. Wow. In order to run a ship effectively, now you talk to me, me, I'm a surgeon. A lot of people think, oh, it's a hospital ship. Oh, well, but I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a doctor. You know, how can I help? Well, listen, the ship can only run with a village. What you need in a village, we need it. Because actually about half or less than half of our crew members are medical nurses. The rest of them are not medical. So for instance, in kitchen, uh, um, gali, um, uh, electrician, plumber, engineers, we even have hairdressers, beautician, and we got a, um, uh, a supermarket. We got a cafe who runs Starbucks. So if you don't know how, know how to run Starbucks, I mean, join us. You know, we need you. And we got a bank. We got a post office. Anything to think of that you need in the village. And so we need actually a lot of non-medical people, non-medical volunteers. And that's why I'm very happy to talk to you at because we also want Christian volunteers, right? We we accept Christian and non-Christian, but we prefer Christian. Uh, because, because this is not just an NGO, this is a faith-based charity. And so, yes, we need any people who've got a heart to, sh to share their skills, uh, their calling, uh, their gifts. But as I said earlier on, when you come to the ship, it's not only giving. You are receiving far more than what you can imagine. Because God, we've got the God of abundance and God wants us to receive far more than we give because God is there to multiply. It's not addition, it's multiply. So it's exciting. And I'd love to, to share that excitement with you. Um, my wife is a Methodist minister and she, she said this, mercy ship is a very thin place. And I said, what, what do you mean by that? And she said, it's so thin that between earth and heaven, you can actually touch heaven. And I said, she's absolutely right. You know, she's so spiritual. And in a sense, you, you're going to have a taste of heaven. You know, when patients come to the operating theater, they will have a ward pastor's prayer because my wife, when she worked on the ship, she's a ward pastor. She will have a ward pastor's prayer. And then when the patient come to waiting area, there's a porter's prayer, if you like. And then when they come into operating room, while I'm, scrubbing up the anesthetist putting patient to sleep there's an anesthetist prayer and just before i set my knife on the patient we have a surgeon prayer and you can feel god there holding our hands doing the miracle that god is doing and amazing thing is god is involving us as part of that miracle for listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds you'll get the paper delivered to your door every friday plus full access to our website and digital archive go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more